Welcome to It's Your Money, a practical guide for managing the financial resources God has provided. Your host is Christian attorney and financial counselor, G. Edward Reed. Well, hello. We're ready for our third session in the Biblical Principles of Money Management in the It's Your Money book and workbook. If you have those with you, you can open to the third chapter or to page eight in the workbook. What I want to share with you in this session is just a basic, uh, simple outline of about seven principles that will help us to uh, understand what God had in mind. Somebody said, well, if there's 2,000 verses, why don't we have something just real simple like the Ten Commandments uh, that we could talk about? So what we are going to look at today are uh, maybe seven or eight principles that will be very, very helpful to us. And we'll make some application as we go along there. The very first one is that we need to trust God with all of our heart. Proverbs, the third chapter, is uh, one in chapter 22 also. A number of Proverbs chapters have to do with money management because Proverbs is actually a book of wisdom. It's not so much a right and wrong. It's about uh, smartness and foolishness, actually, or wisdom and foolishness. So we're going to look at here... Uh, chapter 3 of Proverbs, and we'll look at about five verses real quickly just to kind of set the stage for this particular session. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on or depend on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. Now, would that include the management of our money? I think it would. And so you understand, in everything you do, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So sometimes people come to me and say, well, I've got this money. What should I do with it? And I talk about, or I have this job opportunity. And what you really are looking for here is what counsel can you get from God in this area? So many people today have a good education, and I'm well-trained myself, I think. But you look at this in verse 7. It says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your your flesh and strength to your bones. And then here comes the counsel about the money management. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Now, why do you think God asked us to put him first? Well, we know one thing. It's not because he needs the money. We're going to recognize that in just a minute. But I want you to understand it's not just because he's God. But if we acknowledge him first, then he will bless the rest. And he has said that. In fact, there's a promise right here. Verse 10, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. There are many, many wonderful promises here. But now let's get into the principles. If you trust God and you want to look at his plan, what are the things that you must know? I've thought about this idea of financial literacy. In other words, what every Christian needs to know about money management, and maybe this is these are the principles. If you understand these, then you'll be able to see how important it is in just a moment. So we're going to number two then. God is the owner of everything. That's the principle that I think is very, very important. And uh, it's not just because he's God, but because he is the creator. And uh, Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So even our bodies and our children belong to God. We're managing them for him. Now, uh, Psalm 50, verse 12 is an interesting one. God says, If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness or everything in it. So God is not dependent on us. When we are following his principles, he actually blesses us because those principles are really based on uh, solid uh, wisdom that he has given us. 
Now, one of my favorite stories in the Bible that illustrates this is 1 Chronicles 29, 13, and 14, when uh, uh, the prophet uh, came to David one day and uh, asked him about this uh, plan that he had. He said, well, I've got this plan, and that's why I called you here. I'd like to build a big house for God. He says, I live in a nice house of cedar, but God still lives in the tent that they hauled through the wilderness, and so I have this plan. And he took Nathan maybe to another room, maybe a study, and uh, I can just imagine he pulled back the curtain, and here was the artist rendering of his dream. And it was what we later became known as Solomon's Temple. And uh, I'm sure Nathan's mouth must have fallen open, and he just said, wow, how could we ever afford this? But the fact is, David said, don't worry, I'll raise most of the money myself, and I'll be responsible for raising the other. So what pastor wouldn't say, well, when can we get started? But when Nathan went and communed with God, God said, you'll have to go back to tell David he can't do this because he is a man of war and he has blood on his hands. But when he communicated that message, David said, well, would you ask God if I could at least just get the plans drawn, the working drawings, and collect all the building materials, and then when my son Solomon comes along, he can build it. So it became known when it was finally built as Solomon's temple. But the interesting part about all of this is that after the materials were put together, you remember reading in the Bible that when they actually constructed the temple, that there was not the noise of a saw or hammer. Everything had been all pre-cut and numbered, just like a log home kit. But the interesting part is... David asked all of Israel to come together to thank God for his blessings, and uh, his prayer is recorded in 1 Chronicles 29, 13, and 14. And here's David's prayer that's recorded. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. In other words, we may like to take credit for this, but we're just giving you back your own stuff. I remember a number of years ago when my daughter Melissa was about eight years old that she came to me one day and she says, Daddy, I'd like to borrow $10. Well, I took this as an occasion to give her a little lecture on the problems of borrowing, and so I said, Melissa, you know that if you loan or borrow money from people, they get to ask you a few questions. She said, oh, really? Like what? And I said, well, they'll ask you, for example, what do you plan to do with the money, and how do you plan to pay it back? And she says, but Daddy, I was planning to buy you and Mommy a gift, and I wasn't planning to pay it back. She was just going to give me a gift with my own money. And that's exactly what we do when we bring something to God, because God is the owner of everything, and he has told us how to manage. In the book Education, on page 137, there's a real interesting statement that says, that which lies at the foundation of business integrity and also of true success is the recognition of God's ownership. The creator of all things, he is the original proprietor, we, has, we are his stewards, all that we have is a trust from him to be used according to his direction. So let's go on to number three then, and that is that our purpose in life is to glorify God. Now, it's pretty fascinating that most people have as their purpose in life to be successful or to, you know, whatever their goals might be. But from a biblical perspective, it is to glorify God. We're all familiar with that verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Many people memorized it as a young person. And it says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, would that include the management of our money? Sure, whatever you do, it should be done to the glory of God. 
So we recognize that there are others ones too. I think Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. So our purpose then is to glorify God. Now, just take those three principles that we've looked at so far, and from a Christian perspective, let's say you're in business and you have an opportunity to buy another company out or to expand your business, whatever, you can ask yourself the question, how would I make a business decision about this? And you can just look at those three things. First of all, I want to seek God's counsel because I don't trust my own wisdom in this. And if God's providential leading would open the way, then that would be an indication to me. Another one is to recognize whose money I'm dealing with. It's not mine, really. I'm managing for God. So was this something that would honor God? And then the last one, to remember what our purpose is. Does it glorify God? So you can recognize those kinds of things to look for God's providential leading, to recognize his ownership, and so on as you go forward. Now, the fourth point is that the tithe is the minimum testimony of our Christian commitment. We're actually going to have an entire session on tithing, but I will tell you a couple of points now. I want you to understand the way we said it. The tithe is the minimum testimony of our Christian commitment. Nowhere in the Bible does God suggest that less than a tenth is his. Now, this is something interesting. The tithe is a very, very unique thing in the fact that the Bible says that it is holy. Leviticus 27 verse 30 says, all the tithe of the land is, is the Lord's and it is holy unto the Lord. So God allows us to handle holy things. But remember, it's his. So we don't use our discretion in this case as to what it should be done or even what the amount should be. We know that a tenth of our increase or our income is his. And we actually do with it what he suggests we should do. We'll talk much more about that later, but we want to talk about a couple of other points now in this session. And we'll go to page nine in the workbook if you're following along there. And the first one is that debt is bad. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 7, that the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is the slave or servant of the lender. Now, it's kind of interesting that the very verse right before this says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. That's Proverbs 22, verse 6. So you understand that part of training children is to recognize the problems with debt. Now, it it's, uh, should be understood by most people. Uh, I don't know why we don't learn this, but it seems like young people today would learn that people who get involved in bad habits, vices, drug abuse, and so on, it takes them down a dead-end street. So why doesn't everybody learn from that one person's lesson or you know anyone that you could see? But somehow people continue to do that, and the same thing happens with debt, and people get themselves so involved with debt. We'll have a whole session when we talk about how to get out of debt, how to stay out of debt, and a real simple plan that will help you in that regard. But just remember for now that you want to avoid debt, and if you must make a purchase that requires more money than you have, your goal will be, of course, to prepay as quickly as possible and to become debt-free. And uh, now we're going to look at another point, which I think is important for us now, and that is prosperity 
is having what you need when you need it. Now, it's really interesting that many people today recognize that prosperity is having things. And we've talked about that before, having a fine house or several cars or, you know, uh, boats and vacation trips and so on. But from the biblical perspective, prosperity is living in the way that we have what we need when we need it and God provides for us. Now, I want you to understand that this prosperity is having what you need when you need it is not a name it and claim it thing. There's no place in the Bible that God says that if you become a Christian, you're going to become wealthy. But what it does say is that God will provide for your needs. And so I've actually listed a few verses. You may want to jot them down so that you can look at them yourself. And uh, the first one is Philippians 4, 19. That particular one says, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So God's promise to supply our needs if we live in harmony with his will, and certainly we want to do that. And by the way, that's quite a reassuring thing, isn't it? Now we're going to look, and by the way, some of the anxieties in life are based on whether we're going to have our needs met. You know, what are we going to do about this? And and many people actually worry a lot more than they need to, and especially Christian people when they know this promise is there. Matthew 28, 20 is another one. These are the words of Jesus when he was leaving his disciples and had given them the great commission to go and teach all nations and baptize them and training them uh, in the principles of the Bible and so on. And then he said, and this is Matthew 28, 20, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So God is with us. We travel a lot, most of us today, and wherever we go, we know that God will be with us. And that's a promise. One other one, we live in a very, very stressful situation today. And uh, in fact, one of the highest uh, reasons for the death of young people is suicide. I mean, people just, they don't think it's worth it. People leave notes behind and take their lives and so on. But uh, Isaiah 26, 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Now, you want to understand that the devil is always out there trying to encourage people to get off into things that will hopefully make them happier to have more money and so on. But what we want to really look at is this idea of God's blessing. So we're going to take these principles now, we'll look at one other one, and then we'll try to make an application for them. Uh, Number three on page nine is what we call the master-servant relationship. Uh, When you look at the Bible, you understand that God is the owner that we've just talked about, but he allows us to handle the money. Sometimes I ask people, if you have $1,000, how much belongs to God? And typically they'll say $100 because they know the tithe is a tenth. But what is the real answer to that? Well, the tithe is holy and we return it to God, but since God is the owner of everything, we're actually managing it all on his behalf. And so we're servants. And when he returns, he will say to those that are faithful in the management, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, that's only spoken to those who manage their money from a Christian perspective. And I think you'll see that when you look at it in the context. Well, we're going to look at a couple of applications now, and I'll try to help you to understand that. One of them is Mark, the eighth chapter. There's a real interesting story here. Many of you are likely aware of a business called Domino's Pizza. 
it's kind of a fascinating thing because Tom Moynihan, when he started this company, bought out a little pizza store in Detroit, Michigan called Dominic's. Actually, he didn't have the money to do it, so he and his brother went in together and they bought this company. And they were just operating it as a little pizza store. After a year or so, his brother decided he didn't want to continue in doing that. And so Tom bought out his brother by giving him a Volkswagen Beetle. That was his payoff for this. Well, in the meantime, of course, he changed the name after that to uh, Domino's, and he decided to deliver pizza. To make a long story short, Domino's Pizza became the largest home delivery pizza business in the world. And uh, it's really fascinating that Tom Moynihan, of course, became a wealthy man as a result of that. He owned the Detroit Tigers baseball team at one time. He owned a Sikorsky helicopter to take him to the game so he didn't have to go in traffic. Uh, he owned a big car collection. He said, uh, you know, since I'm in the delivery business, it, surely it's not wrong to have cars. But, you know, his car collection was not like just having three cars or a, a sport utility and, a, you know, a nice car. He actually had warehouses full of cars. One of them was a 1931 Bugatti Royale, which he said there were only five of them in the world that were running. And he paid $11 million for that one car. So you understand he really had the money in those kinds of things. He had a big yacht that he hardly ever went on and so on. But one day he was thinking, you know, if I continue the road that I'm going on right now, will it really take me where I want to go? And you understand that we've already looked at the idea that uh, it's not just difficult, but it's impossible to love God and money. So he decided that what he would do is take one of his business friends up on the opportunity or the uh, option to uh, become a part of a men's Bible study and prayer group. And what they would do is uh, meet early morning for breakfast once a week, and they would uh, read uh, portions of the Bible through and then uh, have a prayer and be on their way. So he said, uh, we were taking turns reading, and one day when it was my turn, uh, I, we were in the book of Mark, and we were in the eighth chapter, and uh, here's what I read before all of my friends. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And then this part he read out loud, of course, to his friends. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? And he wrote in his testimony later, when I read that, I thought God put that in the Bible just for me, because I was becoming successful, but it wasn't helping my spiritual experience. So he decided to start liquidating his assets and giving money to Christian charity. He said, when I first started doing this, my wife wondered if I had lost my mind. But now we both realize we're in this together and we recognize that there's nothing more important than eternal life. So he sold the Detroit Tigers baseball team. He sold his car collection. He sold his yacht. He sold his helicopter. Most of the money went into Christian charities. In 1998, he sold Domino's Pizza for $1 billion cash, and he kept the headquarters office building. But now he's full-time in ministry work, and he says he's never been happier in his life. So what I want to do now is to enlarge just briefly on some of the points that we've looked at so that you can understand how you can apply them in your own life. First of all, to recognize that even in what we would call secular or mundane things, God has principles that he wants us to follow. 
And no matter what your level of education, you can find a principle in God's word. I will tell you that as you read through the scriptures, even just going from one end to the other, these things pop out at you when you're looking for them, and God will guide you in that. So you trust God with all of your heart. And I think this is an important thing to do. If we're going to trust God with our eternal life, why not trust God with our daily life right now? Now, the second one is to recognize that God is the owner of everything. Some people, from a Christian perspective, actually take the time to give a quit claim deed to God. I mean, they actually fill out something and sign it and so on. I personally don't think that's necessary, although it can be a helpful tool to help you recognize the value of it because you're looking at you know, what would be a legal document. You don't actually record it. You just keep it in your, your uh, material possessions. But I can remember when Kathy and I were first getting into these biblical principles that we decided that we would tell God that we would manage for him on his behalf these things that he had blessed us with because we recognize that he really is the owner and that all things come from him. Now, there's everybody has a purpose in their life, and I think God allows things to happen to us providentially. Uh, for example, I real remember a few years ago when I had the opportunity to go to law school, and I thought, well, you know, how is this going to benefit me? But it really did benefit me in many ways, not only in my family, but I've been able to use the principles in helping many, many people around the country to uh, deal with difficult financial situations and so on. And I think it has been a ministry where I've been able to bless people. But we have to remember that our purpose in life is to glorify God and not ourselves. We don't get involved in things just so that we can become wealthy. Obviously, education is important because you need to have an income stream to be able to balance a budget. You need to have a job, all those kind of things. Uh, but we have to remember that God's the owner and our purpose is to serve him. I want to spend just another minute on this tithe business. A lot of people say, well, you know, if I just budget and so on, won't God bless me? Why does he have to take a tenth? And I think the real bottom line is that the 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 uh, cardinal sin, if you please, in uh, the, from the biblical perspective is selfishness. And we need to overcome selfishness. So what we want to do is to recognize that when we make a budget and we recognize that right off the top, we give God 10%, that does two things. It helps us to recognize that his cause is going to go forward. We also know that God, since he's the owner, there's more where that came from and that he'll continue to bless us. The problem in money management is that frequently when God's rivers of blessing flow into a family, they want to dam it up and make a recreation lake for their own family. But God wants us, as he did Abraham, to be a blessing to others so that anyone who knows us will know that we're generous, that we care for them, not just our own stuff and our own things and so on. So that's why God established the tithe. It is also clear from the Bible, as we'll discuss a little bit later when we look at that in detail, that there's a purpose for the tithe, and God has told us what that is. I want to spend a little bit of time on the debt question, because that is the worst problem that people face today, because it causes tremendous problems in uh, marriages, in society in general. The whole bankruptcy thing has just gotten out of hand. Congress has tried to deal with this many, many times. Obviously, there are times when unfortunate circumstances befall someone because of an illness or a death or, you know, unexpected hospitalization or whatever that, that uh, your finances, you have to really, really consider it. But today, 
Uh, many people just use it as a crutch. And what I want you to understand is that if you do file for bankruptcy protection, it's not just something you can do every seven years. This actually does great damage to your credit worthiness and to your reputation, as a matter of fact. Uh, I uh, know that many applications for jobs and other things, they don't just say, have you filed for bankruptcy protection in the last seven years? They will say, have you ever filed for bankruptcy protection? Because people want to know who they're dealing with. We're going to talk more about debt, and I hope that you can uh, tune in when we when, or listen to tape number seven so that you will understand that one and also number five. Both of those will be beneficial to you in that area. We recognize that God wants us to prosper. He says, beloved, above all things, I wish that you prosper and be in health. But I'll tell you just a little story. Sometimes even radio or TV televangelists appeal to our greed. Some time ago, my brother who works in cable television uh, and has cable at his house uh, said that he saw one of these uh, televangelists on a Sunday morning saying that God has told me that if you will send our ministry $100, that he will bless your family with $1,000. And my brother's name is Ken, and Ken told me, he said, I never respond to things like this, but this one was just too good to be true. I couldn't pass it up. So he said that he sat down and wrote a letter and said on a certain date on this radio station or TV station it was, uh, you made this promise. And uh, he said that uh, you would give, uh, if we gave you $1,000, God would bless our family with, uh, or $100, bless our family with 1000 He said, I've got a better idea. Why don't you send me $100 and God will bless your ministry with $1,000? The guy, the idea is a real simple one, and that is God does not appeal to greed to bless us. He appeals to our commitment, and he would like us to be involved. So I would encourage you to recognize these principles as you go through your life and to recognize that if we follow them, not only temporal prosperity, but peace of mind and preparation for the kingdom will be a sure result. Now, if you don't have the uh, books, you can just take notes as you go along, and uh, Charles will mention to you how you can get the books if you need to do that. But I do want to tell you that the Bible is full of them. I can just encourage you to uh, uh, read through it, underline the points that are important to you, and to recognize that as God is the owner, he's given us these blessings. You can find them in the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount. There are many places where God has outlined what we can do to be successful with him. So as we look about us, everybody knows that we have to manage money to be successful. You have to have an income stream to uh, think in terms of managing for your family. But you'll find much more peace in your life, much less stress in your family situation if you follow the biblical principles of money management. In the next session, we'll actually talk about the tithe and how God uses that to our benefit as well. And I hope that you'll practice these and uh, be open to the blessing of God as he leads in your life. been listening to It's Your Money with Christian attorney and financial counselor G. Edward Reed. If you'd like to learn more about developing financial strategies from a Christian perspective, call 
1-800-227-0525 and ask for the companion It's Your Money book and workbook written by Mr. Reed. You can also order individual It's Your Money CDs by name or topic. Call 1-800-328-0525 or visit online at www.adventsource.org. Thank you.